Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. This is episode 74 of the event horizon on Krypton Radio. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Greetings, programs. And with us this evening, we have animator and director Christopher Dante Romano. Welcome to the show. Hey, Gene. It's good to be with you. <laughs> yeah. It has, been, it has been a long time. It has uh, been eight years, yes. These two guys used to work together. Yeah, we, uh, we worked together at Rhythm and Hughes you know, back in... Uh, uh, I guess a little bit after the golden age. 2006 is, yeah, 2006 is the year that I parted ways. Yes. And yeah. I was there from, I think from about 98 to 2006. And I was We're there from some fabulous things. I was there from, uh, 2003 to 2012. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. a long time. Anyway. It's yes. A long time. But you got better. I got, yeah, I, yeah we <laughs> both got better. <laughs> so the reason we have you on the show is because of this new animated film you've directed and produced called Monstro. Yes. And um, Monstro is a my homage to the creature from the Black Lagoon, I, I sometimes mm-hmm. describe it as. It, it's a 10-minute um all CG. Um, it's supposed to have the nostalgic feel of stop motion, and um, it's a love story, comedy love story, horror story, and uh, and it's adorable. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And and it took it took a, a, a very fun and an interesting four years to get it made. And four years, wow. Four, four years, yeah. And well, that's the link on the website to the uh, trailer. Uh, with the trailer now, you can find it at uh, tuneless.com slash monstro. So that's tuneless, that's T-O-O-N-L-E-T-S dot com slash M-O-N-S-T-R-O, monstro. And uh, this is this is something that a lot of people don't realize. It takes a long time to do animation. The computer is uh, the computer is not giving you any real shortcuts to getting things done. It's just providing a new medium. Um, it, yeah, and, and got, you know, it's, it's the tool. Paint ladies, you know, <laughs> it, it's the tool that I know. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we've been I've been doing this a long time. I have been in visual effects now for you know twenty years now, more than twenty years, which is kind of amazing to kind of embarrassing to say out loud. But um, and you were even remember Gene. 
back when we were, you know, working together, I started working on that KCRW spot. I remember putting together this sort of spider robot and, and you kind of looking over my oh, shoulder, yeah, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> it was a, a very stylized little spider. And, yes. Uh, well, there was the spider short that I did for R&H, and then there was the, the KCRW um, ad that played that was the anime thing, and there was the, there was a spider kind of mech robot, and, and um, I kind of built that on the side. I remember you kind mm-hmm. of like peeking over my shoulder and, and, and taking interest in it. But um, after, you know, I had done a number of films and a number of commercials, um, spec spots and stuff, up to about 2007, and then mm-hmm. my daughter was born. And um, after that, you know, when you have kids, your time gets sucked away. So it was hard to kind of get rolling again after that. And and after doing another spec commercial, um, I decided that I wanted to make another film. And when it came to making this film, I knew that I couldn't do it by myself. So, you know, you mentioned that you said that this, the film was produced by, by me, but actually it was, you know, produced hand in hand with uh, side effects and um, the makers of Houdini, which I you know mm-hmm. use their software for you know essentially the entire um, short, and um, I pitched the idea to Side Effects, and you know Kim Davidson, the uh, owner, and he's the executive producer on Monstro. He he went for it and was you know great and and really kind of helped make me helped allow me to make it happen. So you did all the rigging and modeling and everything in Houdini. Um, really? The modeling was not done in Houdini, but the rigging was done in Houdini. The animation was done in Houdini. You know, um, all of the you know lighting and rendering mm-hmm. and effects work were done in Houdini. The compositing was done in Houdini. There wasn't really much compositing, but mm-hmm. I did some color correction and stuff after the, it was rendered, and that was also done in Houdini. So Houdini yeah, is yeah. not known for being uh, an animation package, really. It's it's not the first choice, no. And and but you know there. The movie The Wild, which, you know, I didn't really do very well. And then also Ant Bully. I mean, both of those films mm-hmm. um, were both done, animated in Houdini. And, and, you know, the fact that The Wild didn't do very well it had nothing to do with that. It just had, well, and the movie, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> and the movie Over the Hedge, that was done well, in Houdini well, as well. Well, get a sequel, oh. you know. Oh, there you go. See, so, yeah, that uh, was that was done completely in Houdini. And as as I understand from the people who worked on Over the Hedge, they really wished that they hadn't done that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because the at the version of Houdini they were using at the time uh, really wasn't as pipeline friendly as the the current version is, and uh, it was it was a nightmare. Oh, you huh. know, in terms of in terms of asset management. Interesting. You know, and well, and the animation tools weren't quite as robust as they are now either. So. I don't even remember what year Over the Hedge came out. Is it who or where that was made? As a matter of fact, uh, that was the Canadian company that did that. Uh, the Core was that oh, Core Digital? Okay, okay, Core. Yeah, they they did the Wild as well. Yeah, I think it was Core Digital. That w- which, which also is, which, is partly owned by William Shatner. So yes, that's done. right. <laughs> that's his company. I thought I thought he founded it. Um, perhaps I, maybe I, I you know I'm uh, I. I'm sure I'll, I'll go on Wikipedia later and, and, and read about it, but I just know that he's partner or was part of it. I don't, but I, beyond that, I don't know the extent. It was either uh, that or corset and toupee manufacturing. I, I, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was Gene who said that. <laughs> Bill, that was Gene Turnbow who said that. That wasn't me. That was <laughs> you know what? All the way to the bank. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. that's right. So. um 
so it took four years to do it. How many uh, how many animators did you have working with you, or was it just you doing the animation? No, I didn't do any of the animation. Actually, um, I um, let me see. The first year um, was basically writing and storyboarding and previsioning, and um, that probably went on for about eight months. Mm-hmm. And um, and then once we started to get rolling, I had a group. The total team was about 13, 13 people. I have a tendency to call them kids, but they're not really kids. Mm-hmm. But you know, so if they hear this and they hear me call them kids, please, you know, I'm no disrespect. But uh, but, but there, <laughs> there, there, there's 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 thirteen kids that, that worked on it, and um, I think eleven eleven of them were. I was going to say eleven of them were animators, but there weren't that many animators. Um, and um, you know, they were a great group. You know, and mm-hmm. a lot of them have you know have all kind of come on and, and, and gone on to you know bigger and better things. And um, so they were all sort of collected by side effects. And, and they well, they you know what happens is they you know the interns they they come in and they have a run of anywhere from about four to say six months or, or eight mm-hmm. months in general. And um, so. Evan, um, and he was the first guy to come on and, and, and he did, you know, he was a lot of pipeline stuff working it out and did some great animation of, uh, of the woman and some of the, in the captain stuff in the beginning. And, and then, um, we had other guys come on and they kind of, sometimes they would overlap, but generally there was never more than like, I think three animators was the most that we ever had on, on the film at any given time. Um, so, you know, I, it was an interesting experience to, interview people, get to know people, get to find out what their strengths were, work with mm-hmm. them, have them produce something, and then, you know, you had a very short window before then they're gone, you know. And um, a couple of uh, of the crew, there was uh, Cynthia um, Fuji and then uh, Sarah Yu, they ended up being on the film for a bit longer than, than everybody else. They, you know, Cynthia was close to a year, I think, and Sarah was um, well over a year. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it. I really couldn't have done it without them. So it was, it was amazing. It was a great time. I'm just, uh, I'm delighted by the quality, the visual quality, the look and the feel of the thing. I mean, it does look like, as you say, an homage to uh, stop motion animation. It's this Amazon the- cruise. It's so, it has to have a, <laughs> such a rich background. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was definitely a, a bit of a you know mad monster party was was very. I was strong. about to I was about to mention that it felt a lot like mad monster party. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Even even Francesca from the mad monster party, it was sort of the you know the design model for mm-hmm. um, you know Sugar Plum, the woman in my, in, in my film. So you know I can't um, I can't deny that at all. And you know I mean, there are other things like the captain kind of like definitely has his Super Mario quality to it. And, <laughs> and um, yeah. there's a, there's a scientist yeah. character. Who, who's in there? And I think you know if you've only seen the trailer, you, you've we only haven't seen, seen the scientist three, character. Right? Yeah, we've just seen the uh, where the captain and the creature have this the slap fight. Yes, you know? yes, yes. So there's there's a cat. There's also a scientist on the ship, and and he um, just as far as his design, um, he was designed after um, the original Darren. And when you watch Bewitched. You know how the beginning of Bewitched is uh, is animated. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. um, uh-huh. the the kind of like, you'll see uh, when I secretly you know send you the link later for you to watch the full thing. You'll you'll see that the the the, the lantern jaw of of the scientist and his kind of eyes and stuff is very very 
Darren number one. And, um, <laughs> uh-huh. and then, um, and then there's, then there's the creature and then there's, and then there's another character in the, in the film, which I'm not going to give away, but, um, the, the film itself, you know, it, it takes place on the Amazon and it was interesting it, when the film was started originally, it was called the creature. That was the original name. It was the creature and it was much more Anglo. In, That's, in, that, in, that could have been problematic actually from a. Of uh, what having it called the creature, or yeah, having it be yeah. more Anglo, <laughs> having it having it be uh, um, called the creature that could have been. What do you think that Universal would have? Uh, yeah, I think about they, that? I think they could have run afoul of Universal. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Perhaps, um, but but what was interesting is you know Kim did you know a title search, and in the last five years there are probably about eight other films called you know the creature or something close to it. And so, you know, that was enough for us oh, to Oh, okay. Be, yeah, enough right. to make you r- yeah, more relaxed about it. Yeah. Or just like, let's pick a different name so we're not, you know, mixed up with everybody else who's coming out of the gate at the same, you know, 20, from 2012 to 2015. And there's, you know, four movies called The Creatures. Like, which one are you? You know, I don't want to be like Creature Number 3, you know. Well, this is Monstro so. <laughs> with the inverted uh, and and right, right way up and the, the upside down and the right way up uh, exclamation points. Well, it, we properly Spanish. No, it's it's Portuguese. Oh, and is that it? It should be, shouldn't it? If it's in the Amazon, it's in Brazil. So Brazil's Portuguese, and Cynthia, who is Portuguese, is Brazilian. And so when um, when I started to change, you know, the the and look for different names for stuff, I decided that I would move away from the more obvious, you know, creature from the Black Lagoon and and point more towards something that was South American. And and so I started pinging her for various titles of various names. And I and I considered going with Spanish, but um No, no, you've got it right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Portuguese is is, you know, very specific and 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 Brazil is very specific and the Amazon is very specific and I decided to really try to do my best to embrace that. So there's a couple of places here and there where that you know, other places where that kind of makes its way into the film. And, and I was really happy with that. And, and it's interesting to then show the film and, and the response from people who, you know, who have, you know, Latin and American heritage are excited at the fact that, you know, here's something that kind of, you know, leans in their direction. And, and, and the other actors, there's, um, Alvaro Segura, who is a, um, Houdini artist. And also a rock star, apparently. I didn't actually know that huh. until I visited his <laughs> to visit okay. his Twitter page, right? And he's, he's in, he's in, his, in his, probably Venezuelan, you know, rock band. Uh, I'll tease him and say it's the equivalent of Menudo, but it's not. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to like that. Um, and and um, so he's, yeah, this show uh, is actually going to end up as a podcast, so it's written in stone forever. Oh, very good. So well, the chances sure that he will link. eventually find this are, are pretty high. Make sure we, we'll bookmark it, and then we'll send him a link, and then I'll <laughs> okay. send it to all of his fans, and then sure. they'll you know, burn my house down. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the gentleman who, who portrayed the captain. Yes, he's, well, he's the voice of the captain. Well, if you want to qualify great. for Menudo, then... He, you know, he's, he's the voice his voice has drops. So. And, and, yeah, right. But he... he um, <laughs> that's right. You know, so he's that's he's legitimate. You know, he's I got I got a dude from South America to be the voice of the dude from South America, and, and the original casting. <laughs> no I'm one not. can argue Type about casting. casting. Type yeah, casting. right. <laughs> no, no, 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's like the original cast. Ethnic casting, it's good. It's good. It, you know, I tried. I really did. You did. And, and, um, Type and casting, the, insert your Underwood into six quarts of plaster. Stop. I'm sorry. Stop. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. I, it, it, it's been a while, you know, like we said, it's been eight years since we've, you know, really sort of like communicated and it's like, I forgot how high up on on the on the geek scale you can you can lean. <laughs> that was, you know, yeah. I get like eight point nine on the. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought uh, you know I came from a jokey punny background. You know, in my family, he is God's punishment to me, <laughs> <laughs> and I am to him. So it's all fair. Wow! Well, yeah, yeah. He's kind of where it kind of evens out. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's just like, he's like, you're a nerd. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know what? Nerds. But it's great. It's great. Nerds it's really great. Yeah, I'll, so. I'll take that label. I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just teasing. He, well, well, no, uh, seriously, I'll take that label because, uh, um, uh, Felicia Day just sold her company, Geek and Sundry, to Legendary Entertainment. And the Nerdist Industries, uh, also, uh, two years prior, sold their company to nerd, to uh, Legendary Entertainment oh, nice. for undisclosed amounts of money. But I can tell you uh, that the Nerdist hat was originally bankrolled for four million because Simon Pegg was their primary investor. Oh. So they had to have sold it to uh, Legendary for considerably more than that. Right, right. So if if, <laughs> so if, want to make if us nerd, an offer, yeah, we'll talk yeah. to them. Yeah, that's yeah right. if, they need a, a full time radio station. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where we hope hope to go with this eventually. You know, and, is to get picked chair. up by Legendary. And a video channel. I hope you're listening, like Legendary. Monster. Yeah, right. I was going to say you might want to you know, keep that under your... But <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's like what I, po- I posted... Um, you know, you have to post disclaimers about forward-looking statements being complete bullshit. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> you may send a boo-boo Boo-boo words on the radio. Oh, oh, the, uh, the bull part was okay. Um, <laughs> um well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's like you put this movie out and it's like now I'm in this like self-promotion mode, which is the hardest. It's harder. Right now, it's, it's harder, harder than, than making the film. Than, than making the film. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Because you're making, you know, you're in a groove. You're doing what you know. You're kind of focused. You're quiet. You're working at night. Now, suddenly, I've got to like, you know, I got to like put on a clean shirt and I've got to like trim my beard and I've got to like put a smile on my face and go out and meet people. And I mean, I've been running the festival circuit and Mm -hmm. I've been doing promotional stuff and radio stuff and and interviews. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work and and it's not um, something that I'm accustomed to. So I'm definitely got to get on the airplane and go to Dragon Con this year too. Yeah. I'm not, you, are you going to Dragon Con? Uh, No, we're not going to Dragon Con, but we're going to Salt Lake. Oh, That's okay. in in a couple of weeks. They're they're flying us out. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, because Monster is playing at Dragon Con. Very yeah, good. yeah. I looked and, it up. And and um, I um, we actually have show notes that we go over sometimes. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look. At least we looked at the trailer. Well, yeah. yeah well, thank you. You know. Um, but and unfortunately, I'm not going to be there at Dragon Con. And and and. But the I, show is your your monstro is. But monstro you're will be there. I won't be there. You know. I will maybe I, I won't be there dressed as monstro either. Um, and and I just posted. It's funny. There is uh, Holly Shorts. It was a festival that's kind of 
just wrapping up right now, and it played at it's playing at the um, Chinese Theater in Hollywood and Highland. Mm-hmm. And um, I played there on Monday. I screened there on Monday night during their animation for Grown Ups program. And after I did my you know little red carpet photo, there's a picture of me with uh, Cynthia, one of the animators. And then I um, comped in um, the creature, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, it's funny because it's like it's me and Cynthia and, and, and then there's the creature. We're standing there on the red carpet and the creature's giving, you know, the peace sign and everything. And we're all kind of like looking in the wrong direction as the picture's taken in three different directions, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, people are like, wow, did you get to bring that home with you? And I'm like, get to bring what home with me? And they're like, <laughs> and they're like yeah, they that, that creature statue, that costume that somebody's wearing. And I'm like, what well, costume? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's CGI. Like, what do you think I do for a living? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, like it's a surprise that I can, you know, I can comp something unbelievable into a live photo. It's like, uh, what do you think I did on Spider-Man or, or everything, you know, the other films are over the years. It's very funny that people immediately assume that it's real and and are surprised that I could do that. You worked on, uh, you worked (laughs) on Superman Returns as well. Superman Returns. Uh, oh, Superman. There was Spider Man. You did all the good parts in Green Lantern. <laughs> I did a I did a lot of work on Green Lantern, but I'm not quite sure any of it was really any good. I never I never saw the film, and um, there's that's funny. The the irony of working on all these big uh, pictures is that when you go to dailies every day and you're seeing the same shots every day, effects shots for this like eight months or something. By the time mm-hmm. the film comes out. More you often, don't want to touch it with a fork. I'm just like, I don't need to see that. I don't, you know. Like, I've, I've been watching this for eight months. I don't want to go in. This for eight I don't want to pay to watch it. I, I just want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just want to take a nap. I don't want to, you know. And and so there's there's a lot of films that I've worked on that have been big films that I actually haven't seen, which is very, very funny. Um, Let's see, uh, we looked at your Vimeo uh, files this evening, and there was all kinds of things in there. It was Tron, the um, the second Tron. Yeah, obviously not the first one. No, not the first one. He'd have been his daughter's age. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) What year did that come out? (laughs) Nobody knows. It was... (laughs) 82? 82. 82, I wasn't my daughter's age, no. Um but uh, I remember seeing that in the theater as a, as a young as a young boy or older mm. boy or something. I wasn't I wasn't a man, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I worked at Tron at Digital Domain. And actually, it was when I was working at Tron at Digital Domain that I called Side Effects and pitched them the idea to do Monstro. Uh-huh. And I remember standing in their parking lot in the in the building that they no longer have over at. Uh, Hampton and Rose, you know, which I guess is now probably owned by Google or something. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. You know, I, I knew back then it was funny how, I mean, that was post Rhythm and Hughes and, and I had hopped from a number of different facilities uh, there after Rhythm and Hughes, there was Asylum, which is no longer around. And then I was at DD and that building's no longer around. And I was at Method. They're still around. They're still, yeah, they're still around. I'm but, still uh, around. good because I was beginning to think you were a kiss of death. Well, oh well, you know you, you feel say, that way. You know you, you, you work you in the in, this industry way. long enough, and and the first like, place I worked at was um, well, the second place I first place I worked at was called Motion Works. Mm-hmm. That place, you know, that that's, place that place gone. is long gone. Long gone. 
I, 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 <laughs> then my first there job was... out of school was Marvel Productions, and that burned down. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not do it. <laughs> well, you know, when I was working on Spider-Man, there, there is a, a, a friend, uh, her name is Maria, and she was loved to, you know, make coffee. And she would make coffee at her desk, and she would have a little butane little, like, burner at her desk. Mm-hmm. And you would hear this thing, poof, poof, right? And you're just thinking, one of these days, she's going to burn the building down. <laughs> she's you know, she's oh, going to burn that building down. But, you know, she and, didn't. And Stereo D uh, in Burbank, um, yes. they're, they were going, that was where a lot of the people from Rhythm and Hughes went after uh, after the Los Angeles studio closed. Okay. I, I say Los Angeles. It was in El Segundo. Yeah. So like County. What a crappy drive. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so so he moves in with me and oh boy, he's half an hour closer to work. And then they move another half hour further down the freeway. Just yeah, like, like three, three, three months later. Yeah, three months later they moved they they eat Oh no, it. it was way less than that. Oh, I was so mad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's very funny. I, mean, I I was I think that in a way they did me a favor in that I would never have lived through that drive to El Segundo. I, I'm out in Topanga Canyon. I mean, the, the driving oh, down yes. to the marina was like far enough, and I could just imagine how if I still had my job, you know, mm-hmm. and, never and, you wouldn't have seen your child grow up. Yeah, uh, it would have been you know. And would it? But, uh, yeah. But uh, so many, uh, so many of these companies are either uh, they're either folding or they're going to Canada. Yeah, that's right. Stereo, Stereo D, D is well. the latest one. You know, Stereo D made their announcement; they're going to Toronto or whatever. Well, there's think. worse places than Canada. Well, there are, but the point is that that uh, most of the people who work here can't go to Canada to chase that job, and nor should they be expected to have to rationally. You know, well, the you only know, reason I mean, the only reason they're going to Canada is because of the subsidies, which is an artificial uh, it, it's an artificial factor. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. as soon as as soon as that government decides, uh, we're tired of doing subsidies and we're not really getting all that much out of it, so we're going to stop doing it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know the they all fall. They all fall over dead. I have, I have a lot of opinions about this. And I, I say a couple of things that probably aren't very popular, right? Because on, on one level, you know, it's like, well, look, the movie industry is very sexy, and everyone wants a part of it. I get that. Everybody wants to be on TV. Everybody wants to be a movie, or they think mm-hmm. they do, and you know. And so, for whatever reason, you know, people try to. You know, entice it and steal it and take it away. And the people who are here, you know, have not done anything over the years to a lot, you know, to to root it here and to prevent it from leaving. You know, and and mm-hmm. I, I one thing that really cracks me up about um, the visual effects industry and and, um, and and we can everyone can prepare the hate mail after I say this, mm. but. For years, I remember when I started, I started in like 96 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And every year they would have SIGGRAPH and you would go to SIGGRAPH and here would be all these really smart guys. I mean, you know, CG has been, they've been working on that way before I started, you know, yeah. um, you know, the old Pixar and the Render Man and all that other mm-hmm. kind of business, right? And in way, way back in the beginning, I mean, you watch this stuff now and, and a lot of those early films are so abysmal because, you know, they're, just because it was so hard and nobody could figure anything out and you only had like 4K of memory on your machine and everything. And there, yeah, nobody, so, could, nobody could even do uh, back face removal. 
Yeah, for, yeah, for he does all sorts of terrible stuff, right? But you know what? We loved stuff. Pong once too. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It was so, so anyway, what so what happens is, right? You have all these really smart guys. All these really smart guys are working hard, and they figure out all this really, you know, interesting stuff based off of you know math and and, and brilliance and cleverness, right? And so what they do is every year they go to SIGGRAPH and then they present their papers, right? Here's the stuff that I figured out. I'm reading it out loud, and you can come, and you can see the math, and then you can go home, and you can go to India, and you can go to China, and you can go write plugins for other software because I didn't fill out any patents, and I didn't fill out, you know, I didn't keep my my secrets uh-huh. to myself, and I rather would stand up here and tell you all how brilliant I am. And so after years and years of doing that, all the hard stuff is is figured out, you know, like 90% of the hardest stuff is figured out, and then people have to like invent hard things now to figure out. But really, I mean, like when I did Monstro, everything was off-the-shelf software, there's no big programming happening there's no wizardry you know i mean it's just like i did everything in that using the software and you know dragging and dropping and pointing with a mouse and knowing what to Mm -hmm. click and whatever right so now suddenly what happens is in the beginning all the power was with the cg artists all the party was with the, the the computer scientists that knew everything and Sony and Fox and everybody, they employed us and they threw all this money at us because they needed us. But once it got to that tipping point where they realized, okay, you know, this stuff now is becoming accessible and, and like the papers keep being published and people keep making plugins and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then suddenly the power shifted and no longer the computer geeks had it anymore. Now it's basically in the studios because we needed them. And they decided that they would cut our benefits and that they could move people to wherever. And all the same software, if you buy it in China and you buy it in India, you buy it in Vancouver, it's all the same, right? So now there's no power. You know, there's no – so like they gave all the benefits to us that we needed so we never wanted to form a union. And then they took it all away when we didn't have any power to form a union. <laughs> yeah. And, and so – that's that's a, that's an interesting perspective on it, and it's one I hadn't thought of. And I have to say, um, you know, to a certain to a certain degree, uh, I agree with you. Yeah. Now, a lot of the a lot of that attitude, a lot of the the information sharing that goes on at SIGGRAPH uh, is very similar to the information sharing that was going on in the uh, practical effects industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, 1960s through 1980s about, you know, middle 80s before uh, before personal computers got strong enough that you could actually do practic- uh, visual effects on them. And people would swap recipes for fake blood and, and demonstrate how to make uh, animatronic hands using... A vinyl tubing and and picture wire and and uh, a couple of washers, you know, and and uh, and latex, mm-hmm. a foam latex cast around it, and you've got an you have an animatronic hand that you can operate with uh, uh, pull rings, and it looks like the real thing. Wow, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that, and, and and techniques for all sorts of things, and it was. It was a body of knowledge that a person uh, who who was dedicated to learning it could learn. 
And so you had this whole generation of people who uh, who were essentially walking encyclopedias of knowledge on how to do these practical effects. And I was one of those people back in the 80s. And uh, the, the, the skills that we had were not things that you could buy off the shelf. Mm-hmm. That was knowledge that we had packed in our heads. Right, right. And we were the commodity. Now the software is the commodity. So I can definitely, I can definitely see where you're coming from, and I can definitely see the tectonic shift in uh, in how things are done, and and why this became a problem later. And and at the same time, it's hard to say that the uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for the the principle of sharing knowledge is still a good one. It's just that it led to a very complicated uh, very complicated result that was not necessarily in every, everyone's best interests in the end. That's right. I mean, and I, and I think too, you know, I've heard two counter arguments to what I to what I've said to you, you know. One was that oh, you know, if you kept all these things secret, then you would have inhibited the progress of visual effects which is true which i actually don't think that's true because i believe that there are smart people everywhere and i believe that smart people what left to their own like you know necessity is the mother of invention and i believe that if pixar and dreamworks and imageworks all needed to figure out how to make hair and how to make water and how to make all that other kind of stuff they they each would have figured out their own way to do it just as just as blue sky has their own renderer and pixar has their own renderer Mm -hmm. you know People have figured out their own way to do it. And in that, because they're forced to do it on their own, I actually think that, you know, the Blue Sky Renderer versus, versus Render Man are two decidedly different, you know, b- both amazing, you know, things. And if everything is shared, then, you know, people, there's less reason to go off on your own and to figure out something that is, you know, particular to your specific need you know have you and, and, have you heard by the way that uh that uh render man is they're going to be releasing render man for personal use just for free oh really yeah i'm, I'm on the beta list oh <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting well, i'm waiting for the I mean, release there's been flavor like right like bmrt and all other stuff i mean there's been flavors of, of free render man in the past yeah, there have been but this is real render man right right and it's fully compatible with uh, it's fully compatible with the commercial version and the only difference is the licensing hmm. you know and you know if you think about it it makes sense because what they're really selling is um uh, yeah, they're just getting a bunch of little programmer kids to figure out how to do it at home, and then they can hire them without having. Well, no, 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 that's not it. <laughs> that, that's not. <laughs> yeah, nice try. No, uh, <laughs> I, what's what's going on is uh, for individual use. Who cares if you have one? Yeah. But if you want to run a render farm, you're going to need a hundred nodes, or two hundred, or five hundred, and all of a sudden, it becomes very important to have a commercial version. Because, uh, you know, if that sucker falls over dead and you've got zero support (laughs) and your project is in deep trouble. So I don't think they're really worried about uh, people not licensing or or using it for free because uh, no professional production would risk it. 
anyway. You, you, you would say that. I, you know, you'd be surprised, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, prob- I probably I would at, be. I looked at a lot of crappy little commercial houses. Would you be surprised that, you know, uh, at the things that they do to actually, you know, get a production done, which, uh, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, absolutely. If, if, you know, anything more than say a dozen of, of, you know, a dozen nodes, you know, a dozen licenses, it's, it's small potatoes, you know. Mm-hmm. But then the other the other thing that somebody else had mentioned too was that when I had said what I you know what I was thinking about how if they had formed unions or something like that and I'm not like a pro union person per se but if you know people had safeguarded their livelihood when they were at the top of the mountain you know say ten years ago fifteen years ago um, someone said well you know all those contracts would have expired by now anyway and yes but I think that what that would have done was they would have kicked the can of Vancouver and the subsidies and all the sort of like, you know, offsite um, development, you know, a, a good, you know, 10, 10 years, 15 years down the line, you know, like I, I believe that it was, I believe that it's inevitable, right? I, I felt like even back when I was a digital domain that, that it was inevitable to, um, for the industry to leave just because computers are cheaper and everything's cheaper. But, um, and, and that was one of the reasons why I decided that I, you know, when I pursued doing a film like, like Monstro with side effects, because I, I felt like, you know, now I, I look around me and, and, and there are a lot of dear friends of mine who are trying to reinvent themselves, trying to figure out what their next career is going to be as, as they desperately, you know, hang on to whatever, you know, remaining work might be left in the city. And I, I, you know, what's the idea of being, you know, in your forties or something like that and then going, you know, back to school to become a nurse or become a plumber or become a whatever. Like that just seems like a lot of schooling and hard work. Yeah. Try try 55. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not reasonable, you know, or it's, it's just a huge uphill battle. So I mean, for, for me, I I kind of felt like, well, if I'm going to like make that kind of effort, I might as well, you know, point upwards and, 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 you know, put that into, you know, getting more director work versus just changing careers and, 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 you know, wishing that, you know, I could get a job at Costco or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I oh, yeah. oh yeah. So this was your first, uh, was this your first major, uh, piece of work in directing an animated film? Well, no, I mean, I, I went to art school, both undergraduate and graduate. I want, I wanted to be a painter when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> as I was kind of, Looking, you know, after after graduate school, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and and, and I had this is like back in ninety ninety four ninety three, mm-hmm. and um, and my aunt had given me an industry four one one back when they were actually printed in books, and those books were very expensive and hard to come by, and and so I went through you know the four one one, and I wrote down and sent letters to like twenty companies that had something to do with computers, and and in that one company wrote me back. And so I interviewed there and I got this entry level job doing some compositing and, and system support. And that's where I learned Unix. And, um, I started making my own stuff on the side because I had come from art school and I was, you know, I want always making my own work anyway. So it was kind of a natural progression to sort of make my own short films while I was, and, and using the equipment that I was learning for my own, you know, means just because that's, I've always done that. 
And um, in 97, I made a series of short films that were like 30 seconds long. You know, I think the longest one was like a minute. And this was like prisms on the SGI and rendered in Render Man, rendered in, in Mantra. And I made these surrealist um, shorts for this character named Dream Boy that um, I sent off to a festival. And that festival played in San Francisco and it played in Manhattan. And then I went to Manhattan for that show. And there was an intern in the audience that uh, introduced herself to me, and she was at MTV. And quickly, that those shorts played on MTV's Cartoon Sushi back in ninety seven, ninety eight. I remember that, that show. Yeah, and that was probably oh my God. Probably I, I, like I haven't thought about that in years. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't no, know nobody. You're right. I mean, it's, it's ancient history now, right? But I mean, yeah. that was like three to six months, I would say. And um, I mean. It, I'm sure I, I know that I know that it, there is a mention of it on Wikipedia of Cartoon Sushi, and I know I, my short is tagged there somewhere. I have never bothered to you know to to, <laughs> to explain it out or, or to fill it out, but it, but it, it's all on there. And um, and so that was kind of like where I caught the bug. You know, it was really exciting to to get that stuff on, on um, television. And um, I did a series of um, low-end shorts after that that played up in Cinequest in San Francisco in like 98, I think. And then I made a, a Dream Boy movie, which was like 25 minutes. And um, this is before I knew anything about writing. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> I, I wrote and, and directed this 25-minute computer-animated, all-done-in-Houdini thing with this character called Dream Boy in an ensemble cast. And it was like... It, it's it's kind of like if Woody Allen kind of you know made an animated film and it was the character Dream Boy was filled with insecurities and everyone around him had their own problems that they were kind of dealing with and they were all went to this nightclub to see this character Ivan the Cyclops perform up on stage and Ivan was just like the most pathetic character you could think of and his entire shtick was about you know him being inadequate and as he's grew as he's like standing up on it was kind of like the natural I wanted it to be like the natural but like in the opposite direction you know <laughs> So like when he's up on stage, I, I remember talking to. He's the like guy. one of these people who walks on stage. And, and, and I mean, you, you. Some people have stage presence, and this guy would have like stage absence. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just up there, and he's got this shtick, and he's talking about himself, and he's totally deconstructing everything that's wrong with his pathetic life, right? And he goes on this kind of rant, and 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 as he's doing that, everything that he's criticizing about himself. you know hits somebody else in the audience who has that same problem right so everybody sort of like feels bad you know in for a moment as this guy's totally destroying himself and the music i remember the music is uh, is the best part of of the film and i remember saying to the music team of steve cote this guy mike miller that um my friend mike miller that i want this to sound like the natural but i want it to end in a total of like a big turd right (laughs) (laughs) and and that's still the best part of the film, but uh-huh. and, and it is and and so what happens is like he he does that and everyone pauses for a moment and then they all laugh at him like even though they all feel bad like they don't you know, ignore it and they all just like laugh at him and, and he and he gets no um, satisfaction out of it no no redemption and then it ends right <laughs> and and, um, and so like that you know that took me like a year and a half to make that film and when I made that film I was so excited and then when I got it out it it went over like a lead balloon and um, well, it's set, just it's you know too many steps removed from 
reality or just made the mainstream. I mean, it was a it was a movie, an art movie made for me. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and no wonder. And I went then I was surprised that it didn't have an audience. And um, and so then afterwards, um, that really just made me stop. You know, I didn't even want to leave the house for a, for a while. And it wasn't until I did that tiny little you know spider thing at R&H that I was able to kind of like get back up on the horse and try to direct something. And, um, and then I did a, you know, a couple of shorts, like a robot short after that. And then that led into the Frankenberry. Um, I did a Frankenberry pilot mm-hmm. kind of that I wanted to, you know, the, I the that animation to, to stars and film room. Uh-huh. He was like, a, I wanted to do like a Frank Rankin and Bass version of Frankenberry and, and Count Chocula and have like a 30 minute Halloween special, you know, and do a direct-to-video. This is before, you know, when direct-to-video was still, like, a big thing. And um, and I pitched stars, and we were there totally into it, you know. And um, I had a lot of meetings about it, and I talked to a lot of the, you know, higher-ups in New York and blah, blah, blah. And, and everything seemed to be going well. And then IDT, you know, sold stars, and it all dissolved, and, like, everybody was gone. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like all the people you were talking to, yeah, all gone, d- right? All gone or unemployed. You know, uh, and, and I made I made some good friends out of it. You know, and there's a woman <laughs> named um, this executive named Sydney Clifton. She's over at you know Bento Box and, and mm-hmm. um, Jay Fukudo who's over at RGH now. And there's a lot of friendships that came out of it, but still, it was just like you know, like Icarus. You know, <laughs> yeah. Split. Or Sisyphus, yeah, <laughs> pushing the stone up the hill, and you know, you get to the top, and there's a guy going, "Nope, sorry," yes. and gives you a nudge, and you go ass over tea kettle oh, all the way back down. All so, way back. yeah, yes. So, um, you've got uh, the things in the can. You're going to the film festivals. What's the next project? After okay. this, I mean, you're, you're obviously uh, you're obviously putting a, a great deal of energy into uh, getting the word out on this one. Yes, and and but each project, uh, I as an artist myself, I know that each project is simply a stepping stone to the next one. So we're absolutely, absolutely, and and so with with Monstro, you know, we decided. I have a. I hooked up with a with a with a friend of mine who who I met her back on the first Dream Boy stuff festival you know years and years ago I kind of called in an old you know favor and Kimberly Browning she's a kind of a festival maven and and participates she has her own festival Hollywood Shorts in, in Los Angeles and she she is one of the judges on LA Film Fest and um, so we have this plan of like eight an eight month dedicated run to getting this film in festivals and to promote it and to mm-hmm. squeeze every ounce of juice out of this thing as possible, right? And um, in the meantime, you know, I, I have um, a number of things that I'm you know ready to go on, I, and I, I have a a web webisode, you know, cartoon, this thing called nuts, the cat that I really want to do. It's like a seven minute, maybe 2d thing. And, um, I was over, I talked about, I was over Frederator talking about it and, and, and I might go back to them and talk about some other stuff that I, that I have rolling. But, um, I have a TV show that, uh, a science fiction TV show thing that, um, I also, you know, had pitched to, um, I pitched that to uh, a guy named uh, Mike McGahey, Michael McGahey, who was over at uh, Disney, and and um, it's uh, something that you know he and I have talked about for years, and, and I'm very excited about it. And, and it's a sh- that so that's a show that I'm still kind of like. 
pushing forward on. And um, and what had happened was um, years ago, after that Dream Boy debacle, you know, mm-hmm. um, I realized that I didn't. I had issues with you know writing because writing is the hardest part of the entire process, I think. And and um, I took a two year independent study with. Um, Noreen Stone, who's a, a screenwriting instructor over at uh, USC, mm-hmm. and um, we did a lot of writing together. And I came out of that with um, a short film, um, which I, I keep close to my chest, which I would love to, you know, make that one as well. And then uh, a full uh, feature script, which um, I'm, I read it actually for the first time in, in a couple of years, maybe about uh, six months ago. And uh, it's you know it's not terrible. <laughs> it's actually, I mean, it needs a little bit of work, but it's. I'd say you know uh, I'm excited about it, and and I still uh, you know I'm I'm ready to shove it in somebody's face if they're looking re- you know willing to look. So I've got a bunch of stuff in the can, you know that that's that are or, or not in the can or you call it in my folder, mm-hmm. you know, ready to go. And um, now I just would need to just make sure that people. As many people can see this and get excited about it, and I mean, even even when right now when I call people up and, and use Monstro as my calling card to get to various you know studios and to talk to people, I mean, they look at it and they're like, you know, this is a great piece. If you obviously can produce something which is a production level, you know, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, this, yeah, definitely it's it's a top top level production grade. Well, I mean, you. this is, um, I mean, you look at it, it's stylish, it's humorous, it's well written, it, it's, the timing is good. I mean, from a, uh, they're, they're, directing an animated film is very different from directing live action. Directing an animated film is, um, I guess it's, it's as much like being a traffic cop as anything. Huh. You know? Because you're you're just trying to get all the. I want to hear I want to hear this. Actually, keep going. All the all the the pieces have to arrive at the same place at the same time, you know, from a creative standpoint, in order to make each scene work. And it's it's uh, there's so much so much uh, so many technical details that very frequently that's what a director ends up doing. And uh, uh, but there's more to it than that. Um, um, and the, uh, oh, I'm running out of gas. I'm sorry. Brain is, brain is offline. It's, it's late. late, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, basic, I was just, but the basics of filmmaking still apply. Yeah. The basics of filmmaking still apply. And, and, uh, your, your directorial hand, uh, the guidance that you give the story to give it life and to give it that energy that shines through. You're not just going through the motions. It's good work. Oh, thank you. You know, I mean, it, it that's, was, that's it, where I was going with all of that. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> have any kind of consistency with that revolving door of animators you were talking about. The, yeah, that, that was, a, that was an interesting bit, you know, cause I, there were a lot of things that I wanted to do on the outset and some of it, um, a lot of it I was able to accomplish, I feel, and then a lot of it, or some of it I at least had to abandon if I were ever going to get it done. And, um, I wanted it to have the look and feel of, of stop motion. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be nostalgic. I wanted the, the characters to feel like puppets that were, you know, kind of six inches tall versus being mm-hmm. life-size people. 
Um, and you're introduced to uh, you know the the footage that we saw in the trailer. You start watching it, and immediately you feel. Uh, I mean, it's all new, but it's all familiar at the same time. You feel right at home. You feel like you're in your comfort zone while you're oh, watching. Oh, thank this. you. You know, I mean, I, 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 someone so said to me that you know they felt like it was. They felt that it was, you know, something that they knew, but without it being derivative. And, and, and I liked that comment, you know, because I, I definitely wanted to make something that was accessible. And, um, but I didn't want, I really wanted to produce something that people had never really seen, you know, before. And, um, when you, when you see the, you know the story and the way that it plays out. I mean, I think that it takes a lot of unexpected turns, which I'm which I'm excited about. But um, the other thing is is that so when I made this thing, you know, it's I didn't I, I didn't try to make photo real puppets because I thought that that would take forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the film is animated at twelve frames per second versus twenty four. To give it that kind of you know stoppy feel, I think next time if I were to do that again, I might even go as slow as you know six frames or eight frames a second, just to like really kind of chunk it down, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but it's also it's all motion blurred, which you don't you know have in a, in, a, in a stop motion film. So there's just a subtle amount of blur because you know I, I set the shutter to something like twenty five, I mean twenty five percent versus fifty percent, mm-hmm. and. Um, but you'll notice it on some scenes when when the creature's like very active or something that when the the in and the out you get little V's where where the motion blurs you know shows that it's coming in and it hits the the center frame and it blurs out you know mm-hmm. um, and it kind of softens it up a little bit and then um, that's very technical speak yeah, there but I've um, got an even <laughs> I have a completely aside I've got an even more technical question when you okay. were doing the motion blur uh-huh. was it 2D motion blur or 3D and oh. if if uh, it's all 3D it's all 3D everything, here you'll you'll be impressed everything you see is rendered in a single pass there's no compositing as far as like oh, wow. background or anything like that like all of the depth of field and everything and I really cranked up it's the not depth. like it's not like at rhythm and Hughes where we rendered everything out in 32 million layers and no I rendered it in one layer <laughs> I, under, I understand Blue Sky does that and Pixar does that. Oh yeah, oh, does, does Pixar do that? Um, yeah, Pixar does that. And and um, so yeah, all of that. And I read like the depth of field. I really cranked it up. Like you will see, you know, there's some shots where it's like there's this cl- couple close-ups of the woman where she's she's standing there, she's talking on the phone, and, and the jungle's behind her, and it is like. She's as, she's as sharp as a tack, but, you know, everything behind her is just like this kind of beautiful, soupy blur, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I went a lot farther than than I think that you're accustomed to seeing in, in, in other kind of films. But I did that because I really wanted it to have that kind of tiny, charming, mm-hmm. you know, accessible kind of, you know, feel to it. And um, I'm looking forward to see, seeing the entire film. Um are you planning a digital distribution of some kind? And when is, or is this going to be uh, something that people can buy? Uh, um, well, you know, we're going to do our run. Uh huh. And then um, we're going to see what comes of it as far as what types of distribution, you know, might approach us. Because um, that is, there are opportunities for that still kind of like yet to come. 
And um, at some point, you know, it, uh, the plan is that it will be made available online, but that's probably a 2015 kind of uh, mm-hmm. decision. You have to wait until it's, you've done whatever you can do with it now. Yeah. I mean, once you give it away, you know, then it's, you're done. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. Where's that, that cow in the milk analogy or whatever? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Event Horizon this evening, Chris. It's been so nice catching up with you. Well, thank you. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, getting your film Monstro uh, into the hearts and minds of the animation lovers all over the country. And don't let it be eight years next time. Uh, yeah. any sooner. Yeah, you're right. It's, 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 it's an amazing, it's amazing how quickly time zips by, particularly when, you know, you're in a dark studio worrying about getting your silly little ridiculous film done and you're trying to also teach your kid how to ride a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And you're mentally rendering the bicycle, right? I got her, you know, I I got her riding a bike. I got her swimming. She can read. She can add. She can almost subtract. I feel pretty good. (laughs) That sounds like a great project. (laughs) Thank you again, Chris. All right. You're welcome. It's been great. You have just heard episode 74 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for September 13th, 2014, with our guest Christopher Dante Romano, auteur animation director of Monstro from Toonlitz Animation. Your hosts have been station manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, September 14th and Thursday, September 18th at 4 p.m. Pacific. There are other airtimes during the coming week. Consult the What's On When page at KryptonRadio.com for more details. You will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.